Well, good morning. It is a joy to see you guys. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 11, that's where we're going to be this morning is Luke 11. As you're turning there, we're going to be continuing on our series that we've been doing all summer on college matters. We've looked at a lot of different uh, big topics. We've looked at identity. We've looked at community. We've looked at biblical decision making. Uh, We've looked at uh, eternal security. And then last week, as we've been kind of thinking through how does this relationship with God grow, we've looked at uh, the topic of spiritual disciplines. If you were here last week, uh, Jacob spoke through the topic of fasting. And I'll be perfectly honest with you guys, the more he talked about it last week, the more I just wanted to eat. It was really hard for me, all right? It's like, can I have to get out of here and go grab lunch? or something, you know, so kept talking about food and not eating food. And I was like, goodness gracious, Jacob. Uh, but this morning we are going to be on the topic of prayer. All right. I'll tell you guys, as we think about these two topics, last week, fasting this week, prayer, I'll tell you in many ways, I think these are probably the two most challenging disciplines for us. That really fasting is kind of part of a category of spiritual disciplines in which kind of fits in the category of disciplines and activities that we disengage from. That fasting is kind of a disengagement discipline. Our willingness to go without things, our willingness to have simplicity, our willingness sometimes not just fasting but solitude or silence and those kinds of disciplines in which we disengage. Well, this morning we're going to look at the discipline of prayer, which really fits into a broader category of disciplines in which we engage. And so that's kind of where we're going to be this morning in Luke 11. I think Luke 11 is one of the best passages on the topic of prayer. So if you have your Bibles, pick up with me beginning in verse 1. We find this. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Why don't you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, we come before you and we do confess and we do just ask, Lord, we want more of you. And Father, as we come into this topic of disciplines and this topic of prayer this morning, Lord, I pray that you teach us. I pray that you teach us how to pray. I I pray that we'd walk out of here this morning with a little bit clearer sense of what it means to have a vibrant prayer life. And for the very difficulties that we face in prayer, Lord, I pray that you'd address those in our lives, that you'd give us the courage to move forward, uh, the humility to learn how to pray, uh, and, and an understanding and the clarity to know what prayer is meant to be and how we're meant to accomplish it, Lord. Lord, we love you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd grow us in this area of our lives so that we could grow in our relationship with you, that we can know you more deeply and walk with you more intimately this morning. Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. 
In terms of the topic of prayer, I'll tell you guys, I always love hearing kids pray. Uh, you guys may not realize this, but I have uh, two kids. We have a little girl who's uh, almost five. Her name's Caroline. We have a little boy who's two. And so one of the things that we're trying to teach them amongst many things right now is about prayer. And so uh, we prayed before meals. And, and so it's funny to see them beginning to engage on this whole topic of prayer. And at least for our two-year-old who doesn't really know and can't really say that many words, there's one word he's got down. It's the word amen. So the, end, the times that we're praying as a family, what he's doing in the entirety of that prayer is saying amen over and over and over again. Either he thinks that word is important, so he's locked into it, or he knows that what comes after that word is typically the meal. And so I think he's just trying to get to the meal, I think more often than not. But he's locked in. Our little girl who's uh, five, Caroline, she is, uh, it's often funny because we'll be in moments or in situations as life is unfolding that we get really frustrated as parents about something. Either keys are missing or uh, yesterday our dog, we got home from a trip and our dog's gone. And so we're just kind of like, what in the world? And so our girl, though, is quick to pray. So she'll pray all the time about anything. So keys go missing, phones go missing in our home, and she's just quickly praying constantly about those things. And so it doesn't really matter if she's seeing an ambulance go by, she's constantly praying. And so, but we've also begun to notice that something is beginning to develop from her tendency and willingness to consistently pray. That whenever those keys are found, or whenever the dog came back within minutes after she prayed like it happened yesterday, she also takes that upon herself as if that's what happened because she prayed. Like she's the responsible party that made those keys come about. So she's quick to pray, but she's kind of prideful about her prayer life now. In many ways, kids are all over the map on prayer. One of my favorite stories was found one time by an email for, it was about this a kid named Fred, and apparently Fred and his family were having dinner at his grandmother's house, and everyone was seated around the table as food was being served. And when Fred received his plate, he started eating right away to his mother's disappointment, who replied, Fred, we, we wait until we say our prayer. Confused, Fred said, I don't have to. And his mother insisted, of course you do. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. Not seeing the correlation, Fred explained, but that's our house. This is grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. As if the prayer was somehow to make his mom's indigestible food digestible and good tasting. As if that was going to somehow change it all of a sudden. See, kids are all over the map on prayer. It's hilarious raising our two kids right now and seeing them try to figure out how to pray. And what I love is they're not trying to mask their confusion about prayer. They're pretty upfront about the fact they have no idea what they're doing. But they're just trying. Usually for us as adults, we kind of begin to learn how to mask our confusion about things that we aren't really sure of. Often you guys spend basically almost every single day in class unsure of what in the world's going on. It's just kind of your normal life, right? Like, I have no idea what's being talked about. I'll figure it out later, or maybe I won't, but somehow I'll continue to move on in life. Well, kids, kids really aren't so uh, caught up in trying to mask their confusion. And I'll tell you guys on the topic of prayer, I think every single one of us is really unsure of the whole topic. I think prayer actually is one of the most challenging spiritual disciplines, especially for Americans, for a whole host of reasons. And we'll talk about that this morning. So I want to take this topic and I want to kind of be honest with ourselves to go, hey, at least for me, every single New Year's, I say, I'd like to have a better prayer life. It's like working out and prayer, like the two things I keep coming back to and seeming to be not making a lot of progress. But it's always the thing I come back to spiritually in my life of, I'd love to pray better. And every year I seem to not be making the progress that I'd like to because prayer is really, really hard. And so what I want to do this morning as we look at Luke chapter 11 is I want to tackle this topic of prayer. A famous missionary, William Carey, has said that prayer, secret, fervent, and believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. That prayer is absolutely transformational for our lives. And as we kind of hack away at it, we're really missing out on the benefit of it. So how do we not hack away at it anymore? How do we actually begin to tangibly move forward? So we're going to kind of roll through a basic series of questions. Why do we pray? When and where do we pray? How do we pray? What do we pray for? We're going to kind of walk through a series of those questions and try to give our hands around this topic a little bit better this morning. 
And as we jump out, I'm going to kind of jump out on verse 1. And I think it's really interesting that our story opens up in verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus is off praying. His disciples are observing and, and listening into his prayer life. And his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it's fascinating that the story begins with a simple request on the behalf of our Savior to be taught how to pray. I think in many ways, as we think about this topic of prayer, it is incredibly difficult. But why? Why is prayer so difficult for us? If we think about it, I think it's for a few reasons. The first is this, that it is not intuitive. That prayer is not intuitive to any one of us. That's what the disciples are going to say to Jesus, teach us to pray because it is not intuitive to us. We see you doing it, but we have no idea what you're doing or why you're doing it. Teach us to pray. Prayer is a habit and it's a skill set that you and I have to learn. None of us are born. None of us come to Jesus Christ knowing how to pray. Uh, one of my favorite traditions my wife and I have on a date is that we'll go to a nice restaurant and uh, as a couple who's been married for 12 years, we still have not fights, but we call them discussions. Uh, they typically don't happen on dates anymore. Uh, but we love being out on a date and watching other couples who are early on in a dating relationship having all kinds of problems. <laughs> it's kind of mean on our part. Uh, But we love to watch other couples. We love to watch the communication challenges that are happening, especially we begin to wonder and begin to kind of guess as we watch a couple. I know this kind of seems like kind of stalkish, I realize, as I'm explaining the story. But we kind of love to ask, like, how is this their first date? Like, is this their third date? Uh, if they're breaking up, how far has this been going on, right? Like, what's going on as we kind of observe them? Sometimes you'll see a couple who's just really not talking at all. <laughs> like, that's just really awkward, you know? Just utter silence, you know? Uh, and so for us, we'll kind of watch that, and it's kind of funny because really, even in dating, it's not intuitive for a guy and a girl to figure out how to communicate with one another. They're, it's a learned dance. It's a learned skill. That in any dating relationship, you end up bumping into one another. You end up stepping on each other's toes. You end up hurting one another before you even realize that I was with a guy this week who was saying, hey, I heard guys and girls talk about all the time. Guys would say, I'm not going to be that dude who like ends up in a fight with his girlfriend and never saw it coming. Well, he's like about six months into a dating relationship going, I'm now that guy. Like I'll end up just completely blowing it with my girlfriend. She's absolutely furious. She's crying. And I had no idea and I never saw it coming. For many of us, communication and dating, I think, is a lot like communication and prayer. That it is awkward for us. <laughs> it is not intuitive for any one of us. We don't naturally figure out how to do it. That's why it's a learned skill. And really, as we jump in, I'll, I'll say to you guys, as we think about the difficulty of prayer, if it's something that's not intuitive for us, then here's what's going to be required for us to learn how to pray. Humility. That if you're going to learn how to pray, if you're going to grow in an, in an ability to pray, you're going to have to step into this entire process with humility. Because it's something you don't naturally know how to do. I'll tell you guys, uh, for myself, I'm not necessarily like this ripped football player, as you might be able to tell. And so for me, whenever I've thought about going into gold or going into a gym, I automatically think, man, I just, there's this immediate response in me of like, no. Like, I, it just feels like the uttermost, uttermost humbling thing to do because I walk in feeling like I'm already behind than all these people. And I'm going to step in, try to do some weightlifting kind of thing. And I'm going to look like an absolute idiot, not just because of my weight system, but also because of my technique. And so someone's going to have to walk over and go, hey, let, let, me, let me help you with that because you clearly, you clearly have no idea what you're doing. Let me help you. And so for me, I kind of pull back from gold. I'd rather just work out in isolation where no one can watch and no one can mock me because it's an absolutely humbling ex- learning experience. Prayer is the exact same way. We step into that thing and it is absolutely humbling because we already feel behind because we are because no one's born knowing how to pray. So to learn how to pray is going to be a task of humility. To actually come under someone and say, will you teach me how to pray? 
The disciples come to Jesus and say, will you teach me how to pray? Because we don't get it. If you don't get how to pray, well, welcome to the club. I'll tell you guys, when I was a college student uh, here at Texas A&M, going at, uh, here attending at Grace, we had an elder who's passed away, but he would literally pray before services, and I would take as many notes about his prayer as I would about the actual sermon. I mean, he would just pray, and I felt like I was in the presence of God. It's like, wow. It's like, this man knows how to pray. I, I need to take some notes. I had a seminary professor who would pray in the same way, and I would take as many notes on his prayer as I would from his lecture in class, because I was like, This man knows how to go into the presence of God. He knows how to communicate with God. I've got a long ways to go. For many of us, it is going to be our pride that's going to be the first obstacle for our willingness to learn to pray. Welcome to the club. None of us know how to do this. Every single one of us are in a learning posture on this thing, and that's okay. And it's not just that it's incredibly not intuitive to us, but it's also, um, or here's Romans chapter 8. It tells us why it's not intuitive to us. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, Paul will say in Romans 8, none of us know how to pray. Uh, Welcome to the club. But it's not just that it's not intuitive, but I also declare to you guys that it also feels ineffective and it feels inactive. That for us, I'll tell you guys as an engineer by trade, I, I like to do something and I like to have something to show for what I've done with my effort. Prayer feels like an inactive and ineffective thing. You walk into some prayer time and you walk out of prayer time, what is it you have to show for your efforts? For many of us, we'd rather just stay engaged in doing things and prayer can at times for us feel like something that's not, like we're not doing anything at all. One of my favorite quotes along these lines uh, uh, is said like this, that in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. In fact, psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. That our whole culture is built on an attitude and a value of being busy. Some of you guys maybe can't necessarily identify so much in summer, but especially in the fall and spring, sometimes our calendars are are literally scheduled by the 10-minute block. And we feel like there's this badge of honor to that. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Uh, And then we end up kind of competing with one another with how busy we are. You know what I'm talking about. As if there's this badge, as if there's this pride about how absolutely busy we are. But here's the deal. When we get caught up in that and we get engaged in that, it becomes really, really difficult for us to pray because to pray means not only do we need to be humble to learn how to do it, but we've got to be willing to actually stop and slow down. When you're busy and you're running 100 miles an hour forward, you can't hit the brakes easily enough to actually stop and to pray. It's much easier to be engaged in other disciplines that we feel like we're doing something or we're accomplishing something. But especially for us, sometimes prayer feels like it's ineffective and it's inactive. What do we have to show for it? What are we actually doing with our time? In many ways, I'd say it's not just that it feels that way to us, but also I'd say lastly, uh, that it doesn't seem immediate. Not only is it inactive, but it also doesn't feel immediate at all. We can pray and the results don't seem like they come immediately back to us, which is why I love in Colossians chapter four, Paul will say, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Why is it that if you're going to devote yourselves to prayer that you have to keep alert in it? Well, because the results of it are not immediate. This is why I love the story of in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus is there before the cross and he's asking the disciples to pray, asking them to devote themselves to prayer. And what do they do? They fall asleep. <laughs> you ever had those moments where you're praying and then the eyes get shut, but you're still praying, right? And then, and then you're just asleep on your bed. You wake up, come to, you're like, what just happened? I have no idea. Like, was that an hour? I have no idea what just happened. But for so many of us, even as we engage in prayer, it's so hard for us to stay alert in it. It's so hard to stay engaged in it because the results aren't immediate. It feels inactive to us. 
Prayer requires some serious perseverance, which is why I like Luke chapter 11 so much. A chapter that's going to talk about prayer, a chapter that's going to talk really about the essential requirement of perseverance and persistence in prayer. That it's something that we've got to stay engaged with. It's something we've got to keep coming back to. It's a discipline to be learned that's incredibly fruitful, but it's one that is not immediate and it feels so inactive to us at times. That's why it's so hard to pray sometimes. We're so wired, culturally speaking, for what's immediate, what's responsive, uh, what feels so active and engaging. We love stimulation. We love the constant social media updates. They're constantly coming flooding at us, and yet prayer feels so different than that. So much of what our culture values, I think, has made it really hard for us to engage well in prayer. It feels very anti-cultural in some ways. It feels like we've got to really unwind and pull back and disengage to really pray well. To be undistracted in prayer and to be engaged in prayer. I think that's why it's so difficult for us. And I think one of the main things for us that makes it so difficult, again, as we said in the first point, is that it's not intuitive. We don't know how to do it. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you guys some really practical steps on how to pray. Let me actually ask you guys, how many of you guys are in small groups with us this summer that are going through the study of Daniel? I found out this morning that you guys actually talked about prayer this morning or this week. And so here we are again. I guess God just wanted more prayer time and more focus for you guys on that. So here we are again. All right. But prayer. Why do we pray or how do we pray? I'm going to give you guys two basic ideas. Notice uh, beginning in verse uh, two. And uh, Jesus responds to the request to learn how to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, Father. That prayer begins with an approach to the Father. That prayer as we begin really is, is an approach to the Father. That when we pray, we are coming to the Father. How do we come though? We come this way. We come with caution, with caution. Notice verse two again. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, nice old English. It actually means uh, uh, glory be your name. There's a significance and a weight to your name that I'm going to reflect and I'm going to begin in prayer with. A recognition of of your glory, uh, an attitude of reverence that when I pray, when I begin, I approach the Father in utter reverence and I slow down. Uh, this past December, we had an opportunity to go to Disney. Uh, our little girl who's is tied up into Frozen and everything you can imagine uh, was stoked out of her mind to see all the Disney princesses. And so before we went on the trip, we had kind of started to introduce her to all the Disney movies. And so she was geeked out of her mind to meet the princesses. And so much of our Disney trip was not Space Mountain and all the greatness that that would have been, but it was in line with for one princess after another. This is my life as a father of a girl. I embrace it. Not what I imagined, but it's awesome. Okay, so I'm waiting for one princess after another. Caroline's been talking about it for weeks and for months. And then when we finally get there, we've been waiting forever. And we finally approach and we walk in and she shuts down completely. She goes catatonic on us. She will not speak. She will not respond to the princess at all. Even as she asks her questions, she's just completely overwhelmed. All that she had that she wanted to say, all that she said she was going to do completely fades away. She walks into the princess's presence and everything just shuts down. We had a night, one night where we had dinner with them and, and all of them in one place and completely after dinner when we walked out, she literally passed out of sleep. It was just so much for her to take in. It was overwhelming. It was amazing. But again, even at that dinner, she would take picture after picture, but I'd have to talk to the princesses for her because as she came into their presence, she completely was overwhelmed. And it's an amazing picture of what we're meant to be like as we step into God's presence in prayer that we're meant to slow down. We're meant to get a a sense of just how wonderful and majestic our God is that we step in, which is why we step in with caution. Not cavalierly, not casually as if we're coming into anyone's presence like a next door neighbor. We're stepping into God's presence. I love this quote from Alexander Pope who says that fools rush in where angels dare to tread. For some of us, as we engage in prayer, for some of us, we just kind of walk in like we own the place 
And one of the things I want to do as we kind of begin this morning is, is help you guys realize, as you step into prayer, realize whose presence you're stepping into. And what that means for some of us is that we need to slow down and we need to recognize whose presence we're coming into, who exactly has ushered us in and invited us in. It's the God of the universe who's created all things, who's the highest of all rulers, and he's holy. He's hallowed. He's glorified. And so slow down and have an attitude of reverence for the very one whose presence you're entering into. I love this uh, verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For some of us, is a really helpful correction for some of us in the way that we've gotten into certain habits as we pray. For some of us, we just rush in as if it's Santa and we sit down on his lap and we just start unfolding all the things that we need, right? And, and to realize that we got to slow down and realize that the one that we're coming into is not a giant bending machine, but he's the God of the universe who's allowed us the incredible privilege to step in. And so let us step in with an attitude of reverence, not just instant request. Who is this one that we come before? Let us acknowledge his greatness. Let us acknowledge his majesty. And though we step in with caution, we can also step in with confidence. Uh, I love uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence in the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near in full assurance. Sure, yeah, yeah. We need to slow down and recognize whose presence we're coming before. But in the midst of that caution, we can also come in with absolute confidence. We don't need to be cavalier and informal in some ways, but we can also come in with utter confidence that we are welcome, especially if we know Jesus Christ. Why is it we can have confidence? Hebrews tells us we can have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. That we come not just to the Father, but we come through the Son. That we have one who is an acted as a go-between for us so that we can actually enter the presence of God. So you guys, my first girlfriend, sixth grade, Lindsay Andrews. Absolutely beautiful. Most beautiful girl in school. I was absolutely head over heels, infatuated. Thought I was in love. Sixth grade love. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, well, her best friend actually lived next door to my best friend. And so every day after school, I'd see her playing around uh, uh, right next door. But I uh, absolutely decided, though having not talked to her, I was absolutely in love with her. And so I decided I've got to be in a relationship with this girl. But I had absolutely no courage to actually approach her and actually say a word to her. So I decided, well, I'll just call her. So because I was absolutely terrified, I decided I'd script out the entirety of the phone call. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. Didn't know where the conversation was going to go. So I had a completely word-for-word scripted out conversation with a series of questions. I might have still done that in high school. Just kidding. Or maybe still did. I don't know. Anyways, so I had this whole scripted out conversation I was going to have with her. And so I would get her number and I would dial two, three numbers and then I would hang up. I was absolutely freaked out by actually getting on the phone with her, not just being in her presence, okay? So I would hang up after three numbers. I'd get in the front of the mirror. I was like, Trey, you're a man. I'd give myself a pep talk. I was like, you can do this. Just get in there. Show them what you got. And so I'd go back to the phone and I'd get two more numbers in and I'd hang up just freaking out, trembling. I literally would get to finally the last number and I couldn't dial it. And so I, I couldn't walk up into her presence. I couldn't actually call her. And so I did what any of us did in sixth grade and you shouldn't be doing it now, all right? But I got a go-between. I got a guy named Matt Jenkins. He had dated before. He knew how to talk to girls. He had what I didn't have, moxie and confidence. I sent him in for me. He goes in. He finds out she likes me. He comes out, talks to her before or for me as a go-between, comes out. And all of a sudden, I'm in a relationship in sixth grade. And I think life is awesome. Some of those awkward romances I'd ever be a part of. Uh, but it seemed awesome at the time. But I had to have a go-between between me and the greatness that was Lindsay Andrews. Jesus Christ is the go-between for us between ourselves and God. 
that we need someone to go between us because we can't just approach God in and of ourselves, but Jesus Christ has gone between us and he's made it possible for us to actually approach God. Jesus, as he begins this prayer thing, says, hallowed be God, holy is his name, glorified above all others is him. That none of us can just step into his presence because the Bible also tells us that every single one of us has sin and our sin creates a separation between us and God. And yet what Jesus Christ does on our behalf is that he's our go-between. He lays his life down so that he receives the penalty for our sins. He receives the punishment that should have been ours so that he can make it possible for us to come into the presence of God. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, if you've entered into a relationship with him, if you've trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection, then you have that confidence to come fully into the presence of God because Jesus has made that way possible. If you've not yet ever trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and experienced his grace and mercy, then you don't have access. You don't have the opportunity to come into the presence of God. It is only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That Jesus is that one who's that go-between for us. Which is why as we think about prayer, this is why uh, John chapter 14 verses 13 and 14 is so significant. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice the significance of in my name. That Jesus is saying, if you come before the Father in my name, asking for something, then it will be granted to you. But you've got to come in my name. You've got to come to the Father through me, the Son, so that you have opportunity and you have access to ask. And if you come through my name, then you can ask and it will be granted to you. You know, it's fascinating as you think about this. If you uh, were to show up to summer school this week uh, uh, wanting to say that you were sick last Friday and you brought a a note that was uh, from me, it was in my name, and you brought it to your teacher, it'd get you nothing. That and a quarter will get you a hot cup of Jack squat because my name has no authority or power to your teacher, right? You need the name of a doctor to get you that kind of access. In many ways, what you can see for Jesus is that his name represents authority and access to the Father. That if we come in his name, if we have a relationship with him, we ride his coattails into the very presence of the Father. And it's not just that we can ask for anything in his name. What does it mean to actually ask for something in his name? Uh, I love this in 1 John chapter 5. We find this, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. That to be praying in the name of Christ means not just that we have authority and access, but we're also praying according to the will of Jesus. So what is the will of Jesus? Because if we're not praying according to the will of Jesus, then our requests will not be granted. Uh, this fall, if you were staying in our home, and if it was a weekend, and you were, uh, you know, way into HGTV, and you wanted to record something, and you asked my wife, hey, uh, I'd love to record some HGTV action on a Saturday or Sunday, and it just so happened to conflict with a Texas A&M football game, which, by the way, we begin in one month and one day. I'm just saying. Mark your calendars. Uh, my Dallas Cowboys... God bless them. All right, the training camp right now. This is when optimism reigns supreme until they actually hit the field and then reality hits. Uh, but right now, for us fans, we're excited, okay? So don't, don't squash that for me. Uh, but football is about to hit. But if you were to come into our home and you would say, hey, I'd love to record something, and it's going it's to mean that you actually, Trey actually can't have anything recorded in terms of a and football or Dallas Cowboys football. As the one who's the God of the DVR in our home, <laughs> and my wife, if you ask that of my wife, my wife would say, I, I can't grant that. That's clearly... Not according to his will. I I know his will so well, there's no way, even though he's not here, there's no way he'd grant that because she knows what I want. Dallas Cowboys football, I am football, top priorities for our DVR. Anything after that, secondary. Don't judge me, it's just the way I roll, okay? So, the question is, as you enter into the very presence of God, as you enter into the home of God, 
Do you know what his will is? Do you know if you're praying according to his will or not? Because if you don't know what his will is, if you don't know what his desires are, then you don't know whether you're praying in his will or not, which also means you don't know whether he's going to grant your request or not. To know his will is absolutely critical for you to know whether you're praying according to what he desires and whether he's going to grant that or not. Notice uh, in verse Verse 9, he says, Jesus says to them, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. That's an incredible promise. Wow. Knock and it's going to be opened. Ask and you'll find. Wow. That's, that's incredible bandwidth of promise. And yet, prayer often doesn't feel that way to us. <laughs> I'm knocking and nothing's opening. <laughs> I'm asking and nothing's coming. Does God not hear me? Does God not getting what I'm asking? And sometimes our requests are not according to his will. I'd love to challenge you as you think about your prayer life. You know, one thing I was going to push on you guys and challenge you guys is to begin to actually journal your prayers. Not necessarily word for word, but just the very things that you're asking. I'd love to encourage you guys to begin to actually write those things down. For sometimes, I think for some of us, we just kind of freestyle prayer. You're like, you know, like I'm just out there just praying as it comes, which is great. But one of the benefits of journaling, not necessarily like a word-for-word kind of prayer thing, but if you're journaling the very request that you're asking, one of the things that's really uh, fascinating to see is that it begins to build some perseverance and persistence of continuing to pray through those very things. And it also begins to give you a little sense of when does God actually respond and answer that? Pretty cool to have a prayer log for the last few years and be able to see, here's what I was asking for, and it began three years ago, and I saw God answer that now. But sometimes we really don't log or really keep any record of what we're actually praying for. And so sometimes we really don't get the benefit of seeing God's hand answer some of those things. But if you're actually willing to journal that, if you're actually willing to write that out, then you also have an opportunity to begin to think through, are my prayers really just selfishly oriented? Or are they oriented about the things that God cares most about? For some of us, our prayers are really selfishly oriented. They're about our particulars of our life that are very specific to us, that are really about what we want. Notice as Jesus teaches them to pray, notice what he does in verse two. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Come to the Father in with caution. And here's what you can pray for. Here's what is according to his will. Here's what you can know without a shadow of a doubt is his will. Pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for God's kingdom to be established for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that God's kingdom would be established. Pray also, verse three, it's okay to pray for your daily needs. Give us each day our daily bread. So it is okay to pray for daily necessities. Not necessarily maybe crazy out of this world once and desires, but it's okay to pray for daily necessities. Verse four, it's also okay. Pray, uh, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It's okay to pray for the forgiveness of your sins. It's okay to pray to be led away from temptation. As you look through the scriptures, you get a lot more sense of what is the will, what is the priority of God and the plan of God. Are you praying according to his will or are you praying according to whatever is your will is that day, that week? And that gets real fickle at times. Which is maybe why sometimes what we begin to find is that we're praying for things that are not being granted because we are not praying according to his will. Anyways, here's where I want to end us this morning because really as you look at this section, you get this sense of crazy promises in verses uh, 9, 10, and 11 of knocking and opening and seeking and finding. But for many of us, I'd argue that it doesn't feel like our prayer lives don't feel anything like that. Why are so many prayers unanswered? Why is it that our prayer life sometimes doesn't seem anything like what he's saying in verses 9, 10, and 11? 
that we're praying a lot and not seeing God answer anything or uh, we're praying a lot and not seeing the fulfillment of certain things or we're incredibly disappointed or incredibly feel like we're struggling. Well, what is God doing? Why might that be the case? Uh, one of the things we've said already is that it might be that you're not praying according to his will, that maybe you're praying for things that frankly are just selfishly oriented and God's saying no. Another reason may be, and we're not going to look at all these passages, but it may also be that you're not praying in faith. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 will say, uh, you know, if you know the will of God, then as you pray, then pray in faith that he's going to respond. Sometimes we pray with weak-willed prayers, truly not believing that God could or that God would respond. Sometimes for us, as we come into prayer, we need to be freshly reminded that we need to pray in faith that the God of the universe, not only does he hear us, but he is able to respond. So pray in faith. There's some things that some of you guys have been praying for for a long time, the salvation of a parent or a sibling or for God to do something particular in your life that you feel like he's prepared for you and yet you don't see it. One of the things I want to remind you this morning is continue to pray in faith. Just because he hasn't doesn't mean that he can't and it doesn't mean that he won't. That we got to come back afresh and circle the wagons and pray in a fresh way in faith that he would move There are things that are in my life that I've been praying for a long time and I lose my persistence with it. I lose my hope with it. And I have to be reminded externally often that I need to be recommitted to be praying for something that is so vital and so essential. Some of us, it's not just that we're not praying in faith, but for some of us, there's unconfessed sin in our life. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, uh, basically uh, Proverbs says, uh, if you've looked away from the law with your ear, then don't think that God is going to hear your prayer. That if you are walking in sin that is unconfessed and undealt with, realize that God may have turned an ear and closed it to you. It's not that he's not hearing you. It's not that he's not going to respond to you. It may be that God wants you to deal with that impurity issue in your life first before he responds to what you're asking. Because if he responds to what you're asking, you may not be ready to receive that. You may may be not ready to actually respond in the way that he desires for you to receive that if you were to grant it. And so God's saying, no, I, I need you to deal with this issue before we move forward on this very thing that I have prepared for you. And so for some of us, as we come to those unanswered prayers, it may be a place where we need to go, hey, Lord, is there something in my life that I need to confess? Is there something that is being withheld from me? Is there an area of my life that has gone astray that really you want to get back into order before we can move forward on that? The reality is sometimes we are praying in faith, though, and we're walking in purity. Just because a prayer is unanswered does not mean that you are lacking faith or that you are lacking purity. It could be one of those. It could be that God is saying, hey, do you trust me? Do you believe me? It could be that he's saying, why do you just want my hand, but you don't want to walk with me because you're going to have this sin in your life, but you want this blessing in your life too. Can't have both. Let go of the sin and then we'll talk about the blessing. In many ways, for us, it may not be at all that we lack faith or that we have sin in our life. It may just be that it's just not God's time yet. It may not be the right time yet. It's really interesting. The whole point of this story really gets centered in on uh, verse five. I think it's a really interesting example. Uh, Jesus says to them after kind of walking them through a part of the Lord's prayer, he says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Clearly, this is a noble request. This is not a selfish request. Verse 7, and from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. Interesting. An example of a man who's uh, at home with his kids, they're all in bed and if he gets up and opens the door, it's going to wake up everybody, it's going to be incredibly inconvenient. 
And Jesus is going to say, I want you to pray like this man, not the one who's sitting in the home, but the one who's going to continue to knock. Verse 8, and I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The point of that little parable, the point of that little story, that analogy is to say that when we pray, persistence is absolutely necessary for us to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Now, is the point of the story to say that God is like this lazy father whose feet are in the bed and he's just done for the day and he's kind of, you know, he's done receiving prayers for the day. <laughs> Shop is closed. Come back 8 a.m. tomorrow and I'll be listening to prayers then. Is that what God's like? No, 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 no. That's not what God's like at all. But what's the point? What is it? What's the point of the story? What, what's Jesus trying to push his audience to realize? It's not that God's a lazy homeowner who doesn't want to open the door late at night. It's that what God wants is for us to persist and continue to come at him in prayer. Why? Why is persistence so vital? Why is it so significant? I think part of it is this, that really for many of us, we don't understand that when we, do, when we engage in prayer that we are engaging in a spiritual battle. Some of you guys were in Daniel this week. One of my favorite passages comes in Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel is praying and he's been praying for a while and no one's responded to his prayer until Daniel chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. An angel comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, your words were heard. Daniel is going to be praying for basically almost 21 days on something and he hears nothing from God, nothing at all. And the angel begins to try to explain to him, kind of begins to pull the curtain back to explain to him what's been going on behind the scenes that he cannot see and that he cannot grasp. And the angel says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, another angel came to help me for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. (laughs) That as he was praying, that the angelic realm was wanting to shift to respond to his prayer. But because of a spiritual battle that was going on, they couldn't shift immediately at the time. But his prayer is going to lead to a shift eventually. I love this story in Daniel 10. That here you see humans engaging in prayer. And it's moving the entire chess piece of the heavenly realm in which a spiritual battle is going on. And for so many of us, it feels ineffective. It feels like it's not immediate. It feels like it's not intuitive. And yet over and over again, what we begin to see from prayer is that not only does it change us as individuals, but that it is engaging and impacting the entire spiritual realm in ways that we cannot see or imagine. And in Daniel chapter 10, you get just a little brief glimpse in which God willingly pulls the curtains back to say, hey, look, here's what's going on. That in response to your prayer, there's a battle going on and your prayer is a part of that battle, but that battle has an impact on your prayer. And so continue to stay engaged. That prayer is not just a spiritual discipline in which we continue to grow in our relationship with God, but it is an actual battleground in which we impact the kingdom of darkness. The prayer is absolutely vital. It's absolutely significant. It is actually responsive and actually has a causation and an impact on a spiritual kingdom that you cannot see and that you cannot imagine. One of my favorite stories of prayer was a group of five college students who gathered from Williams College one day in a field. They were talking about missions. A thunderstorm would come around and they would end up huddling themselves underneath a haystack. And they would begin to pray just for the nations. They would pray for missions, for the gospel to go out throughout the nations. And God would take that moment of prayer and he would honor it in such a way that from that moment, these, these men would become part of a, a missions agency that was known as the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. And they would end up sending out 12, over 1,200 missionaries throughout the nations. At the very frontier of missions and sending when that wasn't even happening at the time. 
And it would all begin because it would all begin because of five men who gathered together, five students, college students, who gathered together to pray. An activity that often for us feels so inactive, results in which that are not immediate, and we feel so silly because it's not intuitive. And yet as these guys gathered in utter humility, hacking away at it, God would honor their prayers and he would move angelic realms in such a way where a missions committee would be formed and missionaries would be sent out because of a prayer that began simply with five students. Every amazing revival, every amazing awakening, every amazing work of God is often always the result of prayer. And what's fascinating is how many are often the result of prayers of college students. Their willingness, their availability to come into an activity they don't always grasp, but to say, God, hey, I'm going to believe you for something significant and for something amazing. God, would you do this? Would you take my sorority house and do something with it beyond anything I could have ever thought or imagined? Would you take this organization that I'm a part of on campus that has nothing to do with God, that has nothing to do with the Bible or my Christian faith, and would you transform it for your glory? Lord, would you take this event that we want to pull off on campus and would you do something with it that's way beyond even our own vision for it when all we see is the limitations and all we see is the hindrances? God, would you move? Would you do something? That when the people of God gather into an activity like that, with that kind of prayer life, all of a sudden the spirit begins to move in ways beyond anything that we've ever imagined or thought. Bible churches are not the most charismatic. That's not what we're known for. We're also not really known for prayer sometimes. We're known for Bible study. That will continue to be one of our strengths. But what if we as a church and what if we as a college ministry were known as much for our willingness to study the Bible as we were for our willingness to pray fervently? I want to end with you guys with the same quote I began with you guys this morning from William Carey, a missionary who said, Prayer, secret, fervent, and believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. That if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to walk further into a relationship with Christ and to be made like him and then to have an impact for him, prayer is not just a nice little side piece that you should engage in from time to time, but prayer is the very foundation. It is the wheelhouse. It is the motor and the drive and the engine of that kind of pursuit. That's my hope for you guys. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you and we recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, we would never even have the opportunity to approach you in prayer. Lord, you've given us this incredible opportunity to actually, in a relationship with you, come and communicate. And so, Father, I I pray, Lord, in the midst of an activity that for so many of us feels so awkward and so difficult and we're so unsure of it, I pray that you'd give us humility to try and to begin to learn Lord, might your spirit begin to form in us a heartbeat and a desire and a delight in prayer. Might you allow us to have the wisdom and the willingness to slow life down, to pull some things out so that we can build in space to slow down, to be quiet, and to hear your voice, the whisper of your spirit that beckons us to come and to know you. Father, I pray for many of us that uh, an activity that often feels so hollow and empty, Lord, I pray that you would find, allow us to find in our own prayer lives an engine that would drive us to know you, to be like you, and to make you known. And that we would be driven uh, and on fire uh, and to pursue you with all that we have, Lord. Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son, by your Spirit. Amen.